Space, The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of Dr. Francesca Miozzi, her career-long mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new experimental data and new carbon-rich planets, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Hello, my fellow geoscience aficionados. You are listening to Nice Chats from the Geology Podcast Network. I am Dr. B, and in each episode, I will interview an expert in various areas in geoscience and share with you a little bit of their knowledge and expertise in the research of geological problems. Each of our episodes has a central theme, and since we'll have an expert walk us through the various subjects, you don't need to worry about having any previous knowledge of what we'll be talking about. As long as you're passionate about the study of geology, I, with the help of our guest, will take care of feeding you all the information you need in a casual and fun environment. In this episode, I'm very much outside of my comfort zone, and I love it. I welcome today Dr. Francesca, aka La Jovi, and we'll talk about a branch of geology that is pretty much the opposite of what we talked about in the last episode, which is experimental petrology. La Jovi is a postdoc at Carnegie Institution for Science in Washington, D.C., United States, and she will explain to us how she can extract information from a series of experiments in order to better understand processes that are responsible for the formation of planets and how her focus on the study of exoplanets has major implications to better understanding this little planet we call home. May the force be with us. Hi Jovi, how's it going? Hi Ether, or should I call you Dr. B? It's going fine, thank you very much, it's nice to be here. How is Washington? Uh, Washington is sunny and Actually, very nice. I mean, I don't know much. I'm in self-isolation since I arrived here. That was like two weeks ago. But seems very nice from my window. <laughs> right. These are interesting times to start a new position in the States, like, you know, with so much that is going on in American politics as well. Yeah. It's all fake news. I imagine it is not easy. Uh, no, it wasn't, actually. And uh, there were issues with, by, like, with the possibilities of entering this country, but luckily enough, I had great support from my uh, no, current institution, and I was able to arrive here uh, within schedule. So I am happy to start this new adventure, finally. Before we get started, uh, here in this podcast, we like to kick things off always with a game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I've asked uh, Silvia to join us once again to play this game with you, since you guys go way back. Hi, Vitor. Hi, La Jovi. Hi, Silvia. <laughs> hey, Silvia. Welcome. Welcome back. So this game that I've prepared for you today is called Twinning. It's basically a um, version, a geological version of the game Newlywed. So because you guys know, have known each other for so long, let's find out how much you actually know about each other's and each other's careers. Oh, that's, that's perfect. That is exciting. Okay, so... I don't know if you guys are familiar with the game Newlyweds. Basically, the way that this is going to work for tweening is I'll ask 
um, Sylvia a question about La Jovi and then vice versa. And we'll see if you guys can guess uh, the answer that the other person should, uh, should give. Wow. Okay. okay, let's play. Let's try it let's out. Let's try it. Nice! Boy! Okay, so first one goes for Sylvia. What was La Jovi's favorite subject in uni? Ooh. That's, that's a tough one, I think, because, I mean, she changed, I think, a little bit throughout The Bachelor. The Master, maybe, I think she kind of, like, oriented more herself. But I think that it kind of went from ore deposit and some more economic geology uh, to more uh, experimental petrology at the end. I don't think ore deposits last that long, to be honest. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Damn straight, girl. <laughs> yeah, that's super accurate, actually. I mean... Uh, I loved or, or geology and it was super interesting. But once I set foot in a lab, I realized that's where I was supposed to be. Like, <laughs> Gotcha. See, I knew it was going to work because you guys know each other. <laughs> uh, okay, this next one is for La Jovi. What is or which is Sylvia's favorite mineral? Oh, that's tough. It's also good because, you know, when it comes to Sylvia... Uh, we can compare each other's knowledge because I actually think I know the answer to this one. <laughs> I think I, I know the answer. I actually know the answer to this one, but I don't remember Mineral's name because I'm a ladra. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Jovi. So, I believe in you. So I don't know. I don't know, like in recent years, because uh, we hadn't been on the field so much together and so on. But I think she was a great fan of, like, Silimanite and Andalusite the last time I went on the field with her. Like, she was super excited, of course, for the geological implica implication that they meant. But I would go for kind of these two. And in general, whatever, like, high-pressure and high-metamorphic mineral, I think it's a safe bet. <laughs> right. I think that you're, um, you're betting quite well. I would have said Garnet. So let's see what the answer is. Well, yeah, I have to say that, you know, like, like Jovi's answer kind of like track back to my master, maybe. But I think that Garnet is like the, 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 the current answer, I would say. <laughs> yeah. 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 Changed a little Changed bit. Changed a little bit in the. Okay, I will remember. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I do I do love anyway the aluminosilicates one as well. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Okay, so ah, oh, this this is a tough one for Sylvia okay. to even out the game. All right. What is the paper from La Jovis, first authors only, that has the most citations? Ooh. <laughs> that... You don't have to know yeah. the name if you know kind of like roughly what the subject is about. I, I have to be honest, I, I have no clue. <laughs> and she has so many papers as well. But anyway, so for, first author as well, she has so many. So I just make my guess. The one that she uh, talks about um, uh, iron content in the core. Well, I think it's from last year, maybe. The one you're talking about is the eutectic melting of iron 3 at percent 
silica 4 at percent C up to 200 GPA and implications for the Earth's core. That's it. And that answer is not correct. Damn it. Da, na, na. <laughs> do, you, do you know which one it is, Jovi? I mean, uh, I, I, I haven't checked, but uh, a good guess if we are looking at first daughter would be the the SIC work from 2018. That's it. Just because it's, it's, uh, it's the first work. Right. So this, uh, this paper is called Equation of State of SIC at Extreme Conditions. New insight into the interior of carbon-rich exoplanets. So go check it out. It's pretty interesting. Yes. Okay, next question is for La Jovi. Uh, what is Sylvia's favorite geology textbook? Mm, so that's a tough one. It is tough, yeah, I think so too. That's, that's a tough one. Also because I don't, I don't know her, like I don't know very much her scientific life from the PhD. So I don't know if things changed. When we were still, when we were at university, I think a good guess would be the, the winter. So the introduction to Ineos and metamorphic petrology. That's like, I mean, we used it so much. Basically her pages were ripped apart from, so hungry she was swapping through them to prepare the exams. <laughs> and uh, the other would have been the, the, the Zeisman, Zeisman. Yeah, that's also, good too. Yeah, from from countless microprobe sessions in which she was trying to get some stoichiometry, and she was like, "Oh, I will go and check with the Zussman," and I was like, "Who the hell is Zussman? You don't know the Zussman? No, sorry." And she was like, "It's the Bible for my electron microscopy." <laughs> <laughs> okay, good to know. So, Sylvia, what is the answer? Um. So I think she nailed the winter because uh, honestly it has been uh, a book that I mean, we, I've, we, I've been through that book so many times and I'm, I'm still going through it like now during my postdoc, to be honest, sometimes. And, um, but something that I would add to that is uh, um, uh, the book of microstructures from Paschentro, Microtectonics. That's another one that I really used a lot. So, Sylvia, who is uh, La Jovi's favorite geoscience research celebrity? Geoscience research celebrity. Like, you know, you and Bruce Hobbs, for instance. Um, so, to be honest, I can't remember the name. But I remember once she told me about um, just this um, woman researcher from the States. Maybe was even from, from Washington DC actually, that you met at a conference and you have been in contact with, and uh, you were like amazed by like all the work that she's been doing with uh, development of um, in the exoplanet topic, let's say. And, um, but I can't remember the name. Is that, do I recall right? Yeah, it's uh... That's, uh, there are like a few scientists that I really look up to. And ge geologically speaking, one is uh, actually one of my uh, current supervisor uh, here at Carnegie, and is Anat Sahar. And she has been doing a lot of innovative research um, in her field, and she's now going toward the field of exoplanets and leading this discussion group at Carnegie. 
and it's a really interesting person to speak with and to discuss science and like she was in the commission for my PhD defense it was amazing like I really um, have her on a high value and there is a second person actually but she's an astrophysicist and uh, this is Giovanna Tinetti so she's an Italian astrophysicist and she's working at UCL now She's a professor at UCL and she's also the leading scientist in the Ariel mission that is a future mission for exoplanets observation led by the uh, ESA, so the European Space Agency. And I think it's amazing that, like, uh, as a scientist, as, as a woman, I think it's amazing that there can be women to have this huge achievement and uh, be leading these projects and so on and she's she's an amazing person as well I mean I reached out not knowing much about exoplanets and not knowing much about her and I just wanted to know more so I shoot her an email uh, explaining who I was and what to do and asking to have a discussion and she was super available and we had this Skype talk in which she discussed with me about exoplanets and explained me uh, her point of view and like details of the mission and it was amazing it's really uh, like she's one of my idols as well I think okay guys this might get a bit confusing but I know I have a very smart audience so I'm sure you won't have any problem with this so, Jovi is a nickname that both Silvia and Francesca use to address each other. So, if me or Silvia are saying Jovi, we mean Francesca. On the other hand, if Francesca is saying Jovi, she's not talking about herself in third person like a lunatic. She actually means Silvia. See? Not that hard to follow, right? Anyway, what is your favorite geology textbook? Personally, I love Catuneanus, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Principles of Sequence Stratigraphy, even though I don't get to work with it that often. Message me your answer on Twitter at GeoDrB, that is G-E-O-D-R-B. Now let's get back to the show. All right, I don't know about you gals, but I'm ready to talk about space. Oh, I'm always ready to talk about space. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm going to warn you uh, up front that I am going to try and sprinkle some space jokes here and there. However, I did not have time to plan it. <laughs> so, Lajovi, um, it is my understanding that your job is basically coming up with experiments to try and explore playing the formation of planets, is that right? Yes, I would say in a general way, yes. I'm doing experiments and the idea is to understand actually not only the formation, like in the sense of uh, what happened and what, what were the paths that brought the planet to be how it is, but also how it is now. Okay. Because it's, um, it's a two-way history, the mm -hmm. history of exoplanets. Right. And, um, and you do that by um, creating experiments, uh, right? Uh, yes. We, uh, I don't specifically design experiments for the moment, but I've been using experimental setups that are 
already existing since, since years. But the idea is that what we try to do is to make materials experiencing uh, some conditions that are uncommon for the Earth's surface, but very common for the planet's interior, so like the Earth's interior and other planets. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, what we want to do is determine uh, what happened to these materials when they, get, when they get basically squished by pressure and temperature. Because if you can determine how they behave and which are their properties, you will then be able to apply them to other planets. So the idea is to have a better characterization of those materials in order to be able uh, to model other planets. So to say, okay, we believe that this planet is made with these, these, and these, and we have studied these type of materials and we know how they are, and for instance, which volumes they have and so on, so we can model the interior of planets. So that's what I'm trying to do. Right, and these uh, experiments that we're talking about, um, like what kind of experiments they are, are these simulations that are done completely um, by modeling or do you actually have like you know a way of creating physical reactions by controlling you know uh, conditions um so my main job up to now so my main expertise up now has been making experiments so we have ways to make materials experience different condition and when we speak about condition we mainly refer to pressure and temperature so everybody knows that uh, we have, like, if we refer to the Earth, we have a certain pressure that here on the surface, and we have a certain temperature that might change winter, summer, but I mean, that's it. But it's, like, it's not the same in the, let's take the Earth as a reference in the Earth interior. So the deeper you go inside the Earth, higher is the pressure that materials experience, and higher is the temperature. Mm-hmm. And there are several ways in which, in, la- in a laboratory, we can uh, reproduce those conditions. So one is um, large volume presses. So we take a, a certain amount, maybe grams even, of uh, materials, and we compress them and heat them up, as in experimental petrology work. So probably you already discussed it. And uh, the other way to go even deeper is using diamond anvil cells. So there are these tools that uh, use the properties of diamond that are the hardest material on earth. And uh, uh, what we can do is uh, compress a material between the tips of two, two diamond and study how it behaves while we are compressing. So the idea is that we use this diamond anvil cell so inside the diamond anvil cell, there are these two diamonds that has a flat surface on them. So we can actually put something on this surface. And then uh, the cell has two parts that are close together. Mm-hmm. And so when the two diamonds are facing each other, they are compressing in between uh, the material that you want, we want to study. So what we usually do is using this cell. And in this way, we can apply pressure so we can bring materials at the same pressure they have inside the earth. But then one other variable is missing, and you probably are wondering why, that is temperature. And this is because there are different ways to actually have uh, temp- have these samples experiencing temperature. But in my specific case, and that's what is super cool also, is that we use lasers. So oh, as diamonds, as we all know, are transparent, the idea is that we can put two lasers 
that from outside the cell shoot inside the cell. So you should like, it's like if you take like, I don't know, JD uh, laser saver and you point them toward the diamond and it's like you can pass through the diamonds and reach your sample. So in mm -hmm. this way, while the sample is squished between these two diamonds, is also heaten up by the lasers. And in this way, we can reproduce what is happening. That is just awesome. That's super cool. <laughs> I know, I know, it's amazing. It's super cool, yes. <laughs> What kind of pressure and temperatures are we talking about in terms of numbers? So, like for what I've been doing, uh, we try to go, the idea for what I do is that the higher the better. Mm. But um, yes, so the idea is that uh, as we were saying, I study exoplanets yeah. and exoplanets for the non-expert that are listening are consider all the planets outside the solar system. So all the planets that are not in our solar system, so not orbiting around the sun. And these planets has a wide variety of uh, dimensions. And this means that um, they can go for like from the moon dimension to the to Mars dimension to the earth and even bigger than the earth. And at the current state, uh, they find planets that are between one and 10 times the mass of the Earth. So planets that are like 10 times the Earth. Wow. Wow. So the idea is that if we want to characterize the interior of these planets, we need to be able to go as high as possible. For the experiments I do, let's say we start from... Uh, um, so we work in, giga, in what are called gigapascals, mm -hmm. and we start usually from 20 gigapascal. And to give you a reference, like on the surface of the Earth, the pressure is one bar, mm -hmm. one, one bar and something like 1.013, something like this. And like making the conversion, going to 20 gigapascal means going to 200,000 times the pressure that we have on the Earth's surface. My God. And I, and, I already and... feel like it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I feel under a lot of pressure all the time. So, I mean, I can't even imagine. It's, it's a lot of pressure. Mm. And this is the starting level. I mean, uh, I was lucky, lucky enough to make a PhD in, in a group where they are like specialized in this type of experiment. And I was taught very well by the people around me. And like mostly, like most of the work I've been doing is trying to go above like 150, 200 GPA. So this means even one order bigger is like, two millions times the pressure that you have on the surface of the earth. Oh, and yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's impressive, I think, mm -hmm. for the, to think about the fact that science and technology has allowed us to arrive there, yeah. like to be able to make this type of experiments. And uh, it's, it's a lot of pressure, <laughs> actually. <laughs> what about the temperature? So usually temperature, uh, also there, we, with temperature, the, 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 the matter is always going as high as possible, but we always have to consider that at a certain temperature, materials melt. So you're not studying the same state. So let's say, for instance, I want to study 
how does material behave, I want to do it before they melt, before they become liquid, for instance. Mm-hmm. So in that case, like let's say that standard range of working is between uh, 2000 and 4000 uh, degree Kelvin. That is almost like, uh, can consider also almost the same in Celsius on you know, this temperature range. But if we consider like 25 Celsius and the standard uh, temperature on the surface of the Earth is like 2000 times the temperature we have here yeah. in a normal Sunday. Mm, yeah. so. I am in Australia, so it's a little bit warmer, <laughs> but still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can try to put outside like a piece of iron and see if something happens. <laughs> And, uh, you know, what I'm curious about, too, is what exactly is the final product that you're trying to achieve? And by that, I mean, you know, when you you subject your experiment to these conditions, what are you actually uh, looking for? Are you looking for some sort of chemical reaction or some, you know, reorganization of the elements or a new kind of like uh, crystal orientation? Like, what is it? Okay, so let's say that with this question you're in for a good story and you're called for it, because the answer is not that easy. I mean, uh, the answer is multiple, so in a, in a general way, if you study, for instance, the earth and the earth material, what you want to do is characterize how those minerals behave, so uh, we can determine a, a wide variety of properties that relate to what we can observe from the Earth. So there are physical properties connected to the, how the volume of minerals behave with pressure that can be related, for instance, to the way seismic waves propagate. Mm-hmm. So if you apply this type of experience to the Earth, the idea is that you're trying to get those properties and compare them with what we observe from the surface. In my case, actually, the, the matter is a bit different. Because studying exoplanets, uh, what has been realized is that uh, is, uh, the planets that have been discovered orbit a wide variety of stars, like compositionally speaking. We, we orbit around the Sun, and we know that the Sun has a composition, but all the planets that have been discovered out there or- orbit around their own star, and it might not have the same composition as the Sun. So one of the big questions in the exoplanets community is what is the diversity of exoplanets? Diversity is a key word in this community because the question is, is the Earth an exception or are, other, are there outside other Earth? Or what are the other possibilities that we have? So in this way, my work is not only focused to get these properties, but is to get these properties for material that we often consider less important for the Earth. Mm -hmm. That's why also most of my PhD work has been dedicated to carbon-enriched phases. Mm -hmm. Because what I want to do is try to see if there are other minerals that can be uh, suitable to be inside a planet and not be those that we have on the Earth. Mm, So that's that's, that's the goal. Right. If we speak in a idealistic way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, the, in the practical way, the idea is that once we try to determine which phases uh, we have, so which are plausible to exist, we want to determine the properties, because then I can uh, give the data to people that knows how to make models, so people that use 
mathematic description to come up with a chemical and physical description of a planet. So they use equation to reproduce which would be the processes in the planet. Mm -hmm. And this information that I provide with experiments can be used inside this model to come up with how a planet is made. Right. Like really from the interior to the surface, try to see how the planet is made chemically and with stru from the structural point of view. So we know that the earth is layered, mm -hmm. but so there is a core, there is a mantle, there is a crust, but is it common? Are there planets without a core? So that's our kind of the questions that are around now. And that's the interesting point. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, you get your results and then you pass it on to people that are going to advance it, uh, doing, you know, whatever they do in their area of expertise. And it's, uh, it's interesting because it's something I think that we have already discussed in previous episodes, but it's something I'm very, I like to always drive home as an important point. Um, and, you know, there is an expression that says that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, you know, it takes several villages across the world to advance the scientific knowledge. You know, I think that it's, yeah. um, you know, science is made by collaboration and by, you know, um, giving in a little piece that is going to help build the blocks of, uh, of the knowledge, you know. Definitely. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with, with this vision. I mean, that's, that's why I love so much exoplanets, by the way, this field, this field of research in particular because it's something very new for astrophysics as well, because the first exoplanets were discovered in 1995. So geology is a recent science, if we think about major discoveries, but exoplanets is even more recent. And um, the, the thing is that, so now we have 4,000 catalogued, so confirmed exoplanets. So this means that there is a huge amount of work that need to be done and uh, at a certain point uh, astrophysicists realize that they can they cannot rely on what they observe if they want to know how things are done inside and they start modeling but here is where geology actually come in the way because we know how planets are made inside we know how the earth we try to know how the earth is made inside and we can make good guesses about what uh, there can be in other planets. And so that's only through this collaboration that we can uh, arrive to a full characterization or what is allowed at the current state. But that's, that's amazing. I mean, I've learned so many things since I started to work on exoplanets. And so, f like, so many are so fascinating that I never thought about them. And as well, I'm in contact with uh, astrophysicists and we speak on a daily basis and sometimes they are like, oh my God, I never knew the Earth was like that. Like, so that's... Wow, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, yeah. we, I'm getting in touch with very different realities mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's cool. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, how valuable the study of the Earth is to the study of other planets and exoplanets. And, and I think that, you know, the other way around uh, is also true. 
And what I think is that even if you don't really care about other planets and, you know, the wonders of space, uh, these observations that, you know, you and other scientists in this field are making, they actually have pretty big implications for planet blue. Something that I read in one of your recent papers, uh, and it's even the one that Sylvia guessed in the game, and I'll put the link in the description so that the listeners can, uh, can have a read as well. Uh, it is open access, and that means that you can read it for free. You don't have to pay anything to read it. Um, and in this paper, you start by saying that, and this is a quote, iron is considered to be the main constituent of Earth's core. Cosmochemical abundances and iron meteorites also support the idea that iron is present in a number of planetary cores. Now, this got me thinking. I know that you are an avid listener of our podcast, and I'm sure that you remember that we discussed in previous episodes of um, Nice Chats, both with uh, Peter Kaywood and with Erin Martin, about you know, the difficulty of deciphering crustal processes, especially when the geological record uh, gets erased or overprinted by things like subduction, deformation, metamorphism, um, and so on and so forth, erosion. Uh, and we also know that it is pretty hard to sample material that came from Earth's mantle. And I'm talking about the mantle now. Only in very special cases where, you know, through very unique processes, mental materials have reached the surface of the Earth, are we able to actually see the rocks that form the mantle. And even in those cases, we recognize that these are probably versions of the mantle composition that were subjected to alteration that was caused by the very processes that transported them. So we're probably v v uh, viewing a modified version of what the mantle actually is. Yeah. So it's really hard to actually, you know, study the formation and evolution, and in some cases, even composition of the Earth's crust and mantle. Now, you notice that I haven't even mentioned the core. The core. <laughs> <laughs> and although Professor Otto Littenbrock tried to convince me that I could just travel to the center of the Earth through a volcanic tube, the reality is that reaching the Earth's core is impossible, no matter what Julius Verne tells you. And since the only way that we can sample the core is by using a vessel made of unobtainium, which is a Hollywood exclusive material used in the movie The Core. <laughs> We need to come up with an alternative solution to understanding, you know, the reactions and the things that are happening in the core. And that's basically my take on your work, I think, because you try to constrain conditions of the core as well, which include temperature and pressure, and then speculate the composition and what kind of processes are happening there by looking at the formation of other planets that have potential similarities. Is that you know, one way that we can link the experimental studies of exoplanets to the study of our own planet? Uh, yes, yes, I think what, what you're saying is super correct, I would say. And that's, uh, that's also, I think, the, the interesting part of what I do and the challenging part of what I do, both for the Earth and for exoplanets, is that we can't uh, rely on a sample, like we can't rely on something physical that we hold in our hand and we say, okay, so this should come from 
we don't know, but we will analyze it and we will have more information. Uh, it's, it's kind of like making those puzzles when you connect the dots and sometimes a figure turn out to be a real figure and sometimes you draw nothing because you mistake like how the dots were made. So that's, uh, that's true. At the same time, we always rely, and those are our dots, let's say, in my work, on very physical, let's say, very real information, especially on the Earth core. Uh, we know things, and then we try to connect the dot to produce a potential composition that satisfies those things. So, for instance, we know how, what is the density of the core, because we have seismic studies, that knows how dense it should be. And that's, for, in, for example, one of the ways in which you can say that the core is not only iron. So uh, most of the work determined now that, is that has been made on the core and is currently done on the core is focused on understanding which light elements are inside the core alloyed with iron. Why this? Because if we try to match the density of iron at the pressure and temperature that we believe are consistent with the Earth core, with the information we have from seismic waves, so from a very tangible source, we can't. So we would have that the core of the Earth should be way denser if it was only iron. Mm -hmm. And so we know that there should be some light elements, so uh, carbon, hydrogen, sulfur, oxygen, silicon, nickel, those are some of the possibilities. And the, then you put another point in your drawing and you say, okay, so is it possible from what we know from meteorites and from cosmochemistry, is it possible to have enough of this element to have the density low enough to match seismic properties, like to match the observation from seismic waves? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes or no. And you put another dot. So that's, that's the way. We have some constraint, and the, the idea is that we have to match those constraints. And uh, it's applied to the Earth, but it's applied to the other planets as well, because iron is one of the main constituents of everything, basically, not only the Earth, but also the other planets and the other stars that we see outside the solar system. And is, uh, is not... Uh, we can guess that iron is going to be the main constituent also of many exoplanets. Mm -hmm. And uh, so studying that, you might stumble upon something that can actually make sense also for the Earth. And that, that was my case. So okay. I think it's like, it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. Going deeper and focus on the properties of the Earth in more detail and with more accurate experiments, help for exoplanets, but also is the other way around. We can discover things we didn't know about the Earth. Right. There's the famous expression, one hand washes the other. <laughs> exactly. So your current um, interest is in carbon-rich exoplanets. You mentioned that they are different to the Earth, and in which way are carbon-rich exoplanets different to the Earth? Um, mainly because they are made of carbon. So the idea is that every planet is classified from the ratio between fundamental elements. So iron, magnesium, silicon, oxygen, and carbon. And in particular, it's called C over O ratio. And uh, it means how much oxygen you have and how much carbon you have available in the planet to make minerals. 
as you guys know very well, uh, the Earth is an oxygen planet, so most of the minerals on the Earth have oxygen in their structure and in their formula, like look at its silicates and so on. But the idea is that if, when your planet is forming, this ratio is shift toward the carbon side, you're going to make minerals that have carbon as the main phase and not oxygen. And as the main, uh, not phase, but as the main, yeah, between the two. So you can't call them phase, but as the main uh, ligand into the atoms. So for instance, let's make an example. Uh, when, if you take the C over O ratio and you take iron, so let's say you have some iron available and you have a lot of oxygen, you will make FeO as the first phase. But on the other hand, if you have a lot of carbon and not so much oxygen, you will make FeC. So you will alloy iron with carbon. And that's, uh, that's the main difference from the Earth. So the idea is that during the formation there was uh, not so much oxygen available, but enough carbon for carbon-bearing phases to be the main constituent of the planet. And these mean uh, an extreme difference from the Earth, because uh, these mean they are also called uh, uh, a negative, I define them also in one of my work, a negative of the Earth, because imagine replaces a lot of the oxygen we have on Earth with carbon, so you would have a different, way different environment. When I read about, you know, carbon-rich uh, exoplanets, I thought like, oh, maybe the point is that, you know, we can compare that with the Earth because we are, you know, a carbon-based uh, life form, you know? But it's actually the opposite because once you remove the oxygen, like that's basically, you know, the spark of life on Earth, right, is the, is the start of production of oxygen. Yeah, you know? exactly. As scientists, we hate to speculate, uh, and that's exactly what I'm, I'm going to ask of you right now. <laughs> How far do you think that humans are from finding an extraterrestrial carbon-based life form? Oh my god, man, I have no clue. I, I, I have <laughs> no idea, honestly. I think that you are keeping something from us. I think the reason why you started this position in the US is because you know there are aliens in Area 51 oh and they have asked you to study them. You busted me. For our next segment, we like to ask always the same three questions at the end of every episode. These are questions which are a bit more personal and they are designed to make each guest a bit more familiar to the listener. Um, and they also allow us to compare experiences and opinions across all of the geosciences research fields. Uh, my first question to you, Jovi, is how did you first decide to become a geologist? That's a good question. So I think my first, so I fell in love with geology when my professor in high school, so she had the, uh, the use of organizing this uh, uh, trip, you know, like you have a, you make one trip per year in Italy when you're in high school because you're supposed to increase the cohesion between students, <laughs> students and so on. And she has the habit of bringing classes 
uh, in the Aeoli Island in Italy to see volcanoes. Oh yeah, I've been oh. there. So and awesome. I I went there, and the trip was organized by these guys that had a master in geology, and then decided to put to create um, uh, an, a, a travel a travel agency that were, was organized this uh, was organizing this uh, geology themed trip. So we went there, and I like I felt in love with geology. Like when we were coming back, I was like, okay, so what should I do? Yeah. I was like, what should I do to study volcanoes? And I was 100% into geology, so I went to the open day. Actually, I wanted to finish high school on my fourth year in order to be able to start like the geology classes right away. And that's, that's, that was it for geology, I think. So I, I didn't have like a path as uh, I've heard in some of your podcasts of people that were around rocks since when they were a kid and so on. So that wasn't my case. But as soon as I was in the mountain and looking at rocks and leaking rocks, because it's something you have to do if you're a geologist, I realized that where I, that, that was my spot. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, okay, my second question is, what are some of the specifics of the research that you are conducting at present? So, you know, we talked about a lot about what you are actually doing right now. So maybe you can give us, you know, what's on your desk now at this moment. What so, um, so on my desk, on this moment, there are a few different things. So there is uh, this work I was conducting in Milano, looking at interaction between COH fluids and rocks. So something more shallower in the in the earth, but regarding exoplanets, what what I'm going to do is to work on two different directions. So in one, I will keep on investigating carbon-rich exoplanets, but I will use different techniques from what I did before. And uh, the idea is to use the data that we will produce, hopefully at incredible pressure and temperature, way higher than 200 megapascal to model what would happen in a carbon planet. So to try to see if a carbon planet, for instance, can convect, or which would be the thermal evolution of a carbon-rich planet. And on the other side, I will keep uh, working on diversity. Very interesting. And finally, what do you enjoy doing when you are not geology? I mean, more geology, no? Isn't it obvious? <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I'm an active, uh, I'm a kind of active person. So when I'm not geologing, I'm usually doing something like exercising or going on the bike or biking, yeah, biking somewhere or running. So I, I do several sports and I like to try whatever new there is. So like I started climbing because at university people were climbing. I started exercising more because you and Jovi are profit, CrossFit lovers. So now sometimes I include some CrossFit, CrossFit exercises in my, in my routine. So I would say something active is the most uh, plausible answer. So when I'm not geologing, I'm doing something active. <laughs> do, you, um, do you also slice the... Slice the eyes from time oh, to time. Oh, I slice. I love to slice the eyes. It's one of my favorite activity, together with riding motorbikes. Okay, Jovi. I think that uh, we had a lot of fun today. I personally learned a lot. Snuck 
plenty of space jokes and references in there, which I'm very pleased with. Uh, anyway, thank you for having this nice chat with us. Thank you guys for organizing it. I hope people will discover about exoplanets and feel compelled to go and look up for them. I'm sure they will. Thank you, Jovi. That was, uh, I learned so much today about exoplanet. That was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sure people will appreciate it. Uh, you listener can stay up to date with the work that Francesca is putting out there by following her on Twitter at Miozzi underscore F. Uh, also remember to follow Silvia too at Silvia underscore Volanti. And as always, I'll put the handles in the episode's notes to make it easier for you to find them. This podcast is brought to you by the Geology Podcast Network and is sponsored by Traveling Geologist. More episodes of this and other GPN podcasts are available at travelinggeologist.com or wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please subscribe to Nice Chats and tell your friends about the show. If you like our podcast, please give us a five-star review. I'll see you guys and girls in the next episode and please remember that we all have faults. They're normal. guys start the recording yeah of the phone <laughs> i can see you starting now dude starting <laughs> it's like uh, she she thinks that so uh, you know she's like being so slick hidden from everyone like there's a huge camera in front of me showing that she's doing it okay now. that's perfect so there are like 30 seconds of laugh <laughs>